to open your Bibles to Matthew 24, and we're just going to read verses 3 and 4. Um, tonight, really, I'm just, I'm going to be lifting out just maybe a few scriptures, a few verses here and there. I just want to show, I want to show biblically what the Lord's appearance, if you like, the Lord's coming will be like. Um, I believe it's a theme we've sort of been touching on anyway at, uh, at the minute in CET, especially with, say, Pastor Ken's been bringing the, about the great, great studies on the Laodicean church, and obviously we did about the Elijah ministry, so I just wanted to touch on this tonight just to keep the theme going. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, if we turn to Matthew 24, and verses 3 and 4, we've just got to read them. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now I want you to have a look at verse 4. It says, Take heed that no man deceive you. And just keep that in mind. Just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we just pray this evening, Lord, that you would bless, Lord, your word to our heart. Lord, we thank you for it, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that we have this word, Lord, to correct us, Lord, to instruct us, Lord. Lord, just to touch us, Lord, with the beauty that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just, Lord, come to exalt your name, Lord, this evening. Lord, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, in everything that we do. So, Lord, I just pray this evening, Lord, let your spirit have free course this evening, Lord. Bless each and every heart that is here. And, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that your scriptures are expounded, Lord, by thy most holy spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So take heed that no man deceive you. It amazes me that the Lord talks about the signs of the end of the world and then he says straight away this phrase, no man deceive you. And the thing that always touches me whenever I hear about the end times preaching is that there does seem to be a lot of uh, misteaching. There seems to be a lot of deception about it. Now, I don't say for one minute that a lot of the people that are preaching it are doing it on purpose. But what I do seem to see is, somebody says it from a pulpit, oh, it must be true. Now, we all know that we can't do that. It doesn't matter even if I say it or if Pastor Ken says it. You know, you have to look to the Word. That's why it's called the canon of Scripture. It's the rule. It's the rule that we should live by. It's the rule of the word of God that everything, everything should measure up to it. Everything. So I just want to go through a few scriptures tonight. If you'd just like to go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 
and verse 15. And it says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, if you'd like to flip over to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3. And it says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, I want to just touch on a few things. We've all heard, preached, about when the Lord returns, there's got to be a secret vanishing of everybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I think there's seven years and then everything's got to go really bad and the one man antichrist and everything else. I think we've all heard that. But what I endeavour to do tonight is to try and show you that that's not scriptural. To show you through the word of God that when they say he comes like a thief, if you actually read the contents of the word thief, it actually means that you should be on guard to see when the Lord is coming back. Not that he is coming as a thief. Because we get this idea that as a thief, we, we have this idea in our, in our modern concept that a thief is somebody who comes in like a cat burglar, who sneaks in and you're unaware and you don't know that they've been and then they've gone and then something's missing. That's, that's the kind of idea we get. But you see, when you put it into context of when this was written, a thief was vastly different than that. A thief was actually a, a, a band that could be maybe 50 to 100 men. And a thief was actually somebody, or thieves were actually somebody that would attack a settlement. And when they went to attack, they would make a, a, a mighty cry, a holler, to scare everybody. And then they would try and climb the walls, get over, or get in wherever they could. And then they would steal everything within that village or that settlement. That was a band of thieves. That's what they were all about. They robbed caravans and everything. But there was nothing subtle about it. It was violent. It was aggressive. It was loud. And this is what it means by the word thief. So we're just trying to find out that there's nothing secret about what the Lord is going to do when he comes back. If you go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Twenty-four and verse twenty-six, and this is what the Lord's saying: Wherefore, if thou shalt say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert; go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers; believe it not. You see, even the Lord's saying: If somebody says that I am in a secret place, then believe them not. 
There's no secret about it. Even when the Lord come the first time, what did it say with John the Baptist? He was one crying in the wilderness. There was nothing secret about it. He said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So if he come that way the first time, and we all know what happened because he went to the cross and he died, there was no secret about it, he had to go to the cross. You see, the second time when everything is accomplished, and he's coming as the warrior king, the victory's coming, and as, as it were, on the symbol of the white horse, as the emperors were, in that, in that parade victory. Why would then that be a secret? Because he is completely victorious. By his shed blood, he is completely victorious, spiritually and physically. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing secret about it. If you would like to turn with me to 2 Peter and chapter 3. I just want to expound on this thief. You'll see it more clearly. 2 Peter chapter 3 and go down to, ah, verse 10. First time. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Notice, shall come as a thief in the night, but notice what it says now. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So you can start to see what I mean a bit more clearly now. That this thief that they're talking about is make sure that you don't are caught unawares. In other words, he's saying, make sure you're living your life before the Lord because you will not know the day or the hour in which I come back. So that's why we all have to always have to check ourselves with the word of God and we always should be walking before the Lord right because we just don't know. We don't want to be caught unawares and that is exactly where this thief comes into. We also know as well, if I just used an example, in fact we'll go there to Mark 10, Mark chapter 10, and I'll use this as an example. Mark 10, and go down to verse 25. Just want to use this as an example. Mark 10, 25, where are we? There we are. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, I want to use this verse in the contents that it means. It doesn't mean literally that a, ca- that a camel is going to go through an eye of a needle, a small eye of a needle. The eye of the needle was a side gate in a settlement 
And what happened was you know, a lot of traders used to come and they used to come at certain times. They always went come in the daytime because obviously at night time it was too risky because of attacks and whatever. So they always come and they had a main gate that they would open up for them. But because these um, traders and whatever, they had massive camel trains. And some of them, obviously, desert storms and everything else, they would get split up. You may have a few that got split up from the rest of the camel train. So you may have the main body goes through in the daytime, but later on that night, you may get, I don't know, three or four of them that come along. But they wouldn't risk opening the main gate. So what they would do was they would open this side gate, which was then called the Eye of the Needle. So when they would open up this side gate, what they had to do was... They had to unburden, they had to take everything off the camel, literally everything, unsaddle it, the lot, and then they would get the camel through this side gate and then they would have to bring everything else in afterwards. And that's what this means. Because it's saying about the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's basically saying, you can't take it with you. That's what it's saying. So I just want to put it into context. It's just an example that I was going to show about the thief. So when we, any time we look in the Bible, it's always best to try and get a content of that day to try and understand something properly. Because this is where a lot of time you get the misinterpretation of Scripture. Because they don't put it in the contents that it's meant to be, meant to be in. So if you go to First Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now Paul's giving some comfort to those who have died in the Lord Jesus Christ because they're starting to question. You see, there was people coming in and saying to them, well, you know what? The Lord's already come back. Or they were coming out with all these different statements of how the Lord was coming. But Paul was reassuring them. He was saying, look, you see anybody who has died in the Lord, he says, you're not going to miss it. This is what he was trying to make the statement. You will not miss when the Lord's coming back. And you see those that have died, they have hope. Though you will know when he's coming back. And this is what he's truly trying to get across to the Thessalonians. He says, look, you won't miss it. And look what he says now in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, and you go on to verse 16. This is what he's building up to. Look, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
You see, so the Lord himself shall descend. Now to me, everybody's got to see that. The Lord himself shall descend. But with a shout. Now you know what that was? This is like a military term, a shout. It gives the idea of a general leading his armies into battle, a mighty battle cry that would literally shake the ground. That's what it gives the idea. That's the power of it. The shout. It's a shaking. And then it says, with the voice of the archangel. Now, the archangel was a rank. It was a rank here, and it's shown you as an example. Now, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses take this as Jesus being an archangel, but that's, that's not right. You have to take it in the context. It's saying with the voice of the archangel. You see, the voice of the archangel. It's saying with the authority of somebody who is in ch- charge. The Lord of hosts, which is the Lord of armies. It's somebody who's in charge. That's what it gives. It gives a rank. That's what it means, the rank. So if you go to Revelation 12 and 7, and we'll see this a bit more clearly. Revelation 12 and 7. Twelve and seven. Look, you'll see it here. He says, And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So you can see here that it's talking about Michael the archangel. But it shows you, it says, the Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. So it's giving you the idea here of Michael being in charge. He was the commander. He was the one that was fighting. That's why he's mentioned him above all the other angels. It says Michael, then his angels, because he's the one that's in charge of this. And he's fighting over them, and he's the one who's prevailing. You'll know also that it said in that, that verse that we read in Thessalonians, it said, with the trump of God. So the trump of God, you'll find, it was a trumpet that will always announce something. So when it says it was with the trump of God, it's always announcing something. So it's announcing that the Lord is going to come back in complete victory. That's what it's announcing. And if you ever read Exodus 19, in fact, go to, go to Exodus 19. I'll show it you. Exodus 19. I'll just show it you. And you'll see the trumpet that announces something. Exodus 19. And verse 10. Let's set verse 10. Exodus 19 and verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes, verse 11, and be ready against the third day for the third day. The Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, verse 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up unto the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death, verse 13. There shall not a hand touch it, 
but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether he be beast or man, he shall not live. Listen, when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. You see, it was the trumpet that sounded that announced something. And then verse 16, and it says, It came to pass on the third day in the morning, and there were thunders, lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So you see, that was the announcement of God. But did you notice that everybody knew? There was a trembling throughout all the people because they heard this announcement, this trump. And you'll always see the trump in Scripture. Trump in Scripture is either always calling somebody to worship. It was a signal for war. It was for the assembly of the people of God. It was to proclaim the festivals and it was to proclaim judgment. Judgment. So when the Lord, so when it says in, 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 in the Bible, when it says about the great and terrible day of the Lord, you can see that the trumpet's there to announce the victory of God, but it's also there to announce the judgment unto those who would not accept him. So there's the jewel. You can see the jewel nature of the trumpet. So how will the Lord come then? Back to uh, 1 Thessalonians, please, in chapter 4. First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 17. says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? That's what we're all looking for, isn't it? The word shall be caught up or caught up is a Greek word, hapatso. And it basically means to be caught up to rise, to meet, and to come back. That's what the word means, hapatso. It means to rise and to come back again. And you'll notice it says, with them in the clouds. So the clouds, what are the clouds? Well, the clouds mean saints. So if you go to Hebrews 12 and verse 1, you'll see that it's the saints. These clouds. Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So you can see this cloud of witnesses is got to be the saints of God that are coming in this victory parade, this great victory parade that you've got to see of our glorious King as he comes back. It's beautiful. First, First Corinthians 
and chapter 15. Please. Verse, um, verse 51. Verse 51. Now, it's got to show you in the, in the way that we've got to be caught up. Now, look at this. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, it means we're not all sleep, obviously, because there'll be some that barely alive still when the Lord comes back. Verse 52, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice again, it's that trumpet. And it's got a sound before there's that catching up, before there's that translating, if you like, in the twinkling of an eye. So if you want to go with me now to Revelation chapter 11. I just want to show you this all through Scripture. Chapter 11, 15. I just want to show you so many scriptures about it because there is so much in scripture about the Lord coming back. But it's always with a shout. It's always with a trump. You know, everybody's got to see it. Revelation 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become of the kingdoms of our Lord. And of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's fantastic, isn't it? Verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that do fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them, which destroy the earth. Isn't it amazing when you look at this? The nations are going to tremble before the Lord. That's what this is saying. At the coming of the Lord... There's got to be this, such that authority. There's got to be such that awe, that majesty of Christ because the righteousness starts to come to earth because that man, that God-man with that rod of iron is going to rule this earth and it's going to make the nations tremble. It's going to make them terrified. And so you can see the pattern of this here. The whole world's got to know it. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, chapter one. 
chapter one. Where are we? Chapter one. Verse four. Verse four. So we ourselves glory in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, Listen to this, recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, revealed, you see that word? Revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen to this in verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Let me ask you, brother, sister, do you think that people are not going to know that day? In all honesty. Does it really sound like Jesus is coming in some kind of secretness or he's even going to pluck people up in like a vanishing trick when he's going to reap the destruction on those who have done things to his people who have persecuted them who have killed them and then people that have hated God no he's coming but it even says He's coming to judge himself. He's doing it himself because they would not have him to rule over them. So he's coming himself. And then, if you actually want to take a quick detour to Matthew... And I like this because it's one of the parables of the wheat and the tares. And the Lord explains it. He explains it himself. Matthew 13, chapter 13. Um, Verse 24. down to, yeah, verse 24, down to verse 30. Another parable put he forth unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then have it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, 
lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, in the time of the harvest, and I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them into bundles to burn them, but garner the wheat into my barn. Now, I just want to say, I told you about when they were on about the rapture, how they said about before the Lord comes back, those who believe would suddenly vanish and that the, the people who didn't believe would be left on the earth. Well, verse 30 tells you something different. Verse 30 says, To gather ye together first the tares. Now, if we go to verse 36, the Lord then expounds on this to his disciples because they ask him to. So this is the Lord expounding on this. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So that's obviously Jesus. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteousness shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So when we hear the popular teaching of the rapture, of the disappearance of thousands upon thousands of people. I hope I've showed you through just a few verses and not really even expounding on them much, but just letting the Bible speak for itself because that's the best way at times. But there's nothing secret about the Lord coming back. In fact, he even says that it's those wicked ones that he's got to gather up first and bundle into the fire. You see, the rapture has been taught since about the 1900s or just before the 1900s. But it was mainly a taught along the lines of was to sow dissent into the church and what I mean was in in the reformation um, there was many that were preaching the gospel and they recognized what was happening when there was the persecution from the catholic church they recognized that in revelation they could start to see history unfold and so What it was, was there was a group of men who were Jesuit priests, uh, 
Francisco Ribera and Lacunza and Balamine. And they all together started to come up with doctrines that would take the gaze off the papacy. The likes of the one-man antichrist and the rapture and everything else. And to be honest with you, nobody really believed it. Um, they all thought, well, you know, this isn't, <clears throat> this isn't scriptural and, and nobody really believed it. But then there was a man, I think his name was S.R. Maitland, um, found it in a library many years later. And uh, he started to look at this and, and thought, well, there must be something in it because um, one of them, I think it was Lacunza, he actually uh, wrote a book, but he wrote it under the name, uh, a false name of, of Rabbi Benazra. So when Maitland actually found this, he thought it was a, a, a rabbi, rabbinical writing and he thought, well, there must be something to this. And he started propagating it and then you had as early on as, as um, Nelson, yeah, that's it, yeah, Nelson Darby started then propagating it in the Plymouth Brethren and then it's just started going on and then you got the Schofield Reference Bible and then you got it started to really take off then. And then you had this whole rapture theory and it's just thrown uh, people and, and the book of Revelation into chaos. Because I think it's tragic when you hear preachers now and they open the book and they just say, you know what, I, I don't even preach on Revelation anymore because I just don't know what's, you know, what's right about it or I, I don't know even what you know, to start expounding on it or where to start. Now we know even now we know there's, there's things in the book of Revelation that, yes, we, we can see the symbolism of it, but to be honest with you, we don't know everything. Of course we don't. But you know there is a, a good solid foundation of Revelation when you go to the Old Testament. And you start to see the symbolism. And you start to see, see the prophets used to speak in a language of symbolism. And that carried on all the way through the Bible, even when you get into Revelation. So when they start taking Revelation and, and they're trying to put everything into the future, it doesn't fit. Because even at the very start of Revelation, and pe people miss this, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of an antichrist. It was the unfolding of the history that was happening right from John's day. He could see it right the way through from the Roman Empire. So even when you start seeing in like the likes of Revelation chapter 5, when you start to see the different periods of the Roman Empire, when you start to see that and people say, well, how do you know that's the Roman Empire? Well, look at Daniel. Look where he went from in the statue. And what was the last empire in Daniel? It was the Roman Empire. Because it's split. And this, then Revelation starts to carry on from then to show you what happens to the Roman Empire. And then from then on, it just shows you what happens through history. It starts to reveal things like what's going to happen, you know, what happened with, with Islam and Muhammad. It shows you that and then it starts to go all the way through history. You see, Revelation is a fantastic book if it's in the right contents. It's not always got to be out there in this one-man future antichrist, but it was a revelation 
of history. And you see, there was these, there was these men in the Reformation that knew the scriptures. They knew that, that revelation was unfolding as it was coming. And even when the French Revolution was happening, they said, it's happening according to the book of Revelation. They knew, just as it was happening then, through the scriptures. Because they knew all these symbols and everything else that they went back into, they knew all the characters. And that's what's important when we look at the book of Revelation. It's to know the characters. It's to know the world system. Even now we can see it with a world system, with the UN, you know. I mean, is it by chance that the UN would happen to build a building designed on the Tower of Babel? Oh, is that just chance? Oh, you know what? I started building it, it just looked like the Tower of Babel. You know what I mean? Is that by chance? You know, is it by chance that they have a woman riding a bull that would be the symbol of, of Revelation? No, we start to understand the players. We can see that this book of Revelation is still unfolding. And it's that Babylonian system that's trying to come in. And this is why Pastor Ken and myself say that we should be out of it. It's not, not any hatred or anything like that. But what we have is God's word. And we believe it. And it shows us what is happening in our day. Well, I hope that's helped maybe some of you. Just a wee study there and a wee few scriptures there just sort of thrown together. But um, it's great anyway, just when you open the scriptures and you just start to look and you just see things and they just start to connect up. It's great. But uh, thanks for listening anyway and, and God bless you.